podcast where we talk about things with one super special guest every week. Just sit back, relax, and hear us speak on This Is Happening, the podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to This Is Happening. This is Nathan Strifle. And Eric Morris. <laughs> I still always get a kick out of you saying, welcome back. You know? Well, you First know all, that they listened like, to the last one. It sounds like we're coming back from like a commercial break, which <laughs> let's let's hope in the future we will be doing that. Okay, one. you know what? The next one, I'll try something new. I'll just be like, hello, welcome to a fresh episode. How about that? <laughs> for all of you who have never all, seen this before. It's our, <laughs> you know, it's our repeat listeners. We do welcome you back. And for newcomers alike, you are also welcomed into the world of This Is Happening. Um, so <laughs> today we're joined by the incredibly talented, amazing, mm. sexy, um, musically inclined, you've got like a resume like the size of Oklahoma. It's a pretty skitsy resume. Um, yeah. David Pevsner. Hello, everybody. Hello. David Pevsner. You, you may not recall this, but you and I met at a party um, years ago. Um, at the home of Michael Medico. Oh my God! And at this moment, Michael was obsessively doing like a Friday night gathering, um, and he was doing it like every Friday night. And he was with Corey at the time. Do you remember? Do you know him? Oh, I know Michael. Sure. Yeah. This party it is like. I, I'm kind of remembering it in the very back to well, the, the left only, down it's really recesses the only of time my brain. We ever had a conversation. I mean, I see you out and about. I don't know how you remember these. I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> You'll pull them out, and it'll be like it was. It was 2001. Well, it was. I don't remember the year, but it was at one of these parties that they actually got married. Um, what? I don't remember. But this that time. wasn't the one that oh, you, okay. you and I met. I um, met somebody at the club last night, and they said they met me from a party, and I was like. My joke is that because, you know, especially getting older, the senility creeps in. And so when somebody says to me, hey, do you remember? I go, I remember nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I usually don't remember anything either, but I do remember that. Um, You know, at the time, I think he was doing Landmark and... um, you know, no judgment. <laughs> no, uh, I just remember like we used to hang out with Michael and I. Yeah, has, pretty, uh, I like Michael. Digressed at all? My memory? Yeah. Oh my God, these last five years. Really? My joke is that if I didn't have breakfast with you this morning, I don't know who the hell you are. <laughs> Can I say who the fuck you are? I'm sure that's true. That's, that's probably what I usually say. Talk about fisting if you want. No, Me? we will. Don't worry about <laughs> that's on the docket. <laughs> And then I took, you know, I looked over your um, IMDb and whatever, just to, you know, do the the, the minimal amount the of preparation yes. for this thing. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I noticed that you you did you wrote some songs mm-hmm. for Naked Boys singing. I did, yeah. Which I uh, I was working, I was kind of producing partners with one of the producers of that movie. Oh. Oh, the movie. Did it start as an off-Broadway stage musical? Is that, it, was it? it started actually in L.A. Oh, yes. it did. Yeah, it was created here um, at the Celebration Theater because the Celebration Theater, which is the, the longest-running gay theater in all of America, mm-hmm. maybe even the world, um, was failing. And the guy who, uh, Bob Schrock, who was the artistic director of the theater, said, what do gay guys love? Musicals and nudity. That's exactly, I mean, it's so, so clear that that's what the, that's the, what it was. that came that's together. Yeah. And so it... Um, how did you get involved? Well, strangely, I was doing a show in New York called When Pigs Fly, which is a really fun, over-the-top musical. Oh, on Broadway. Musical, off-Broadway, actually. 
Didn't it end up on Broadway? Nope. It was an off-Broadway show. Ran for two years. Someone in Blaine was in that. Not Blaine. Blake. Blake Hammond. Yes. Blake oh my Hammond. God. Arguably one of the funniest people who's, I've ever. Who worked. is a, a really good friends with friends of mine. Uh huh. I don't know him. Oh, he's great. He ended up doing when we did it in L.A. He took over for um, what they called the big girl in in New York. But in L.A., he originated the role with me, and Jim J. Bullock was in it as well here. Oh, I love Jim J. Bullock. He's the greatest. He's he is good friends with an. an Former neighbor of mine, mm. so I used to see him all the time. One Such of the a best, sweet guy. One of the best people I know. Truly, truly. So, he's like disappeared. Well, no, he's, possibly no. He's disappeared because that neighbor has moved away. So uh, our he's connection. He's disappeared from me. He's disappeared from my life. Where are you, Jim J. Bullock? If he's not, he not your world, on the world, he's not. He did. He, I'll tell him. He did kinky boots for on, on the road. He did hairspray well, he, on Broadway and on the road. Well, that's one of the other reasons he disappeared is that he's been out of town. touring a lot. Yeah, but know? he's back now. He's back oh, now. Good. So when this naked boy, when, what year was this? Um, Just to give me a little. Well, I when Pigs Fly was ninety six to ninety eight. During that period. A friend of mine named um, Patrick Quinn, who was the head of equity at the time, was there. And his boyfriend at the time, Marty Casella, I just started a conversation with him. And I told him that I'd started writing, just for my own enjoyment, these dirty little songs. Like, funny little songs. And what's your, like, musical background? Well, I've been doing musicals, you know, all my professional life. Right. And and I always felt like I could write songs. I used to write parodies of songs. Like I would take a. a, a Do you play piano? I don't play piano. You so don't. I have to come up with a melody, oh, okay. and then I have to go to somebody to say, "Here it is. This is what it is. Gotcha. That's the chord. Not that chord. That you know. Mm-hmm. It's it's not it's not fun to not be able to do my own work, but it's kind of the way I work. Sure. Um, and so I was talking with Marty, and and I mentioned that I'd written these songs, and and because I wrote them, they're about sex, and they're pretty you know explicit. A little. I thought they were at the time kind of explicit, so I didn't think they were going to go anywhere. And so he, he said to me what are you doing besides the show? And I said, I'm writing these little dirty songs. He said, well, you should do something with them. And I said, nobody's going to want these. And he goes, well, a friend of mine is putting this together a show in Los Angeles, and he's actually actively looking for material. I said, well, what's the subject matter? He goes, nudity. And I went, oh, you've got to be kidding. Amazing. So I sent in four songs, and they ended up using three of them. Oh, my God. And that's the first so cool. stuff I ever wrote. And that show is still running off Broadway. Like, it's crazy. That it is, is crazy. Yeah, 20 Does it still have the Are same original music? Are you getting paid? We still, we still get... It, it's, it's fallen off a lot because, you know, it's played in like maybe 60 countries around the world. Now, I think they're actually going to be doing a production in Puerto Vallarta. But right now, they, it plays... Oh, where I think, in Puerto Vallarta? A, a place called Encanto. Okay. Um, it's a club. Yeah, my boyfriend's going to be there all next month. Okay, well, it, uh, I think it opens in October, I want to say. Okay. Um, but there, it plays now a couple of weekend, a couple of um, I just think on the weekends in New York City, and oh, it's, okay. it's pretty much except for a little time when it closed, it's been running in New York. I've been here twenty years. It's got to be then. 19, 20 years it's been running in New York. Oh, <laughs> and it's all the same music. It's, it's, it's all it's like, I love like one you, or two songs came and went. Change. Yes, well, when Pigs Fly opened at the same time as I Love You, You're Perfect Now Change. And they were able to find, we ran for Do two years. Do you know Jennifer Sumard? I've, I've met Jennifer. And we were working on a TV originally. show in New York when that opened. Well, she's incredibly talented. She's done very love. well for herself. Yes, yeah. I saw her in Disaster. Yeah. That opened the same time when Pigs Fly did. And we got, for a show that was essentially a niche show, even though it really wasn't, it was very gay and lots of straight people came to see it, but we kind of right. exhausted our audience. I Love You're Perfect Now Change was able to, they, they had the, the, the smartest marketing campaign. They said it was Seinfeld set to music. And at the time, Seinfeld was right. really big. And, which is and just that kept right. it running for how long? 
It ran for good twenty yeah. some odd years. It just it, at the t- it was one of the longest running um, off Broadway shows, which is why it was I the Bridge and that. Tunnel crowd that kept that going. Yeah, yeah, and and bachelorette parties are what kept Naked Boy singing running for so many years. Oh, that's so funny. Not even gay. Not even gay guys. No. In fact, every gay guy that was interested probably saw it. Exactly. And so, and when they, it's funny, the reason I found that out was I was in Chicago. I was doing, I I did a one man show. I've done a couple of them, but the one that I did in 2002 was called To Bitter and Back. And they were running uh, Naked Boy singing at the Bailiwick Theater there. Uh And they asked me, and I went to the opening of the show there, and they said, would you want to do your show splitting the week with Naked Boys for a month? I said, sure. So I'm waiting to do my show the first night, which was a Friday night. There was a 7 o'clock Naked Boys show, and then a 9 o'clock my show. And I'm sitting outside the theater, I'm hearing this like high-pitched cackling and screaming and yelling. I'm like, what the fuck is that? The doors open, to, you know, as the theater is letting out, out come this like stream of women and they're wearing like, like little tiaras and they're making, and, and they're doing that thing when they like talk about the size of a guy's dick and it's like with their fingers like this and, and they're just, and it was like, I, I was floored, but that's what kept the show running for so long. That's it great. Yeah. That's amazing. I have a little bit of a, you know, discontent history with bachelor parties. I feel like I've always worked at restaurants when the bachelor uh-huh. party comes in. It's like, oh, yeah. here we go. It's better when it's at a show because then, you know, you want that. Well, yeah, and they were really the raucous and, and, and rowdy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. There's Someone else wrote songs for that show. His name is Mark. Mark Savage or Mark... Um, uh, there's two Marks? Oh, great. There's Mark Savage of course and there's two Mark Marks. Winkler. Mark Winkler. Yeah, who's a jazz singer. And what, what a great Mark guy. Winkler and I worked... I, we worked at this company called National Research Group, the um, movie testing, which is now called company. ASI. Is it? Yes, and I work there periodically because oh, I'm friends with the with the owner, mm. and so I help out every so often. Oh my god, what a horrible OTX. place to work! OTX was what it was. Horrible called. place to work. It was just like a factory. It was like what did they do? They they, they do did focus groups. Movie, yeah. So oh, they, so it's like pre screenings. They do screenings. So they yeah. they invite people off the street to go see a movie, and then they fill out forms. But I have a funny story like, about it. So what they did? Were you a coder there? I was. Okay, so I was a coder too. It was one of my first jobs in What's LA. A, code, a coder is when they, they 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 do the screening, and the guy who runs the screening hands out the the sheets. People fill them out. Then we get the sheets and all the information on the sheets. Oh, we put into a computer to a spreadsheet. Okay. Right. So, well, it was kind of a spreadsheet. Yeah, but the funny thing is I did this in the late 90s I mean I don't even know if they're working I did this in I mean they were computers but I forget how we did I it I did like 2005 or something an like abacus that. a large abacus <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah that's right exactly <laughs> but no the, the funny thing was before before we would do our work the person who headed the screening would come to us and give us like a synopsis of the movie and we did some really really big movies but then there were times where like they would give the synopsis and we knew this movie was gonna just die they would be like you know so, so there's this movie and it's called I don't remember what it was called. She goes, and a scientist played by Tara Reid. And we were like, no, no, that movie's not going to be. That movie is going to be a big old dog. Why are we even here tonight? Yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> that, that was fun. I mean, One of the truly bad jobs I had. It just paid terribly. And it was just, but Mark was one of the managers of the department. The nicest guy. And a lovely, lovely yeah. guy. And then I remember going to a screening with Sterling who had like helped finance the, the mm-hmm. movie of Naked Boy Singing and Mark was there and yeah. I haven't seen him since then I was like oh my god what are you doing? Yeah, I think he has two songs in it I have three he has two nice yeah really great guy so you beat him 
I yeah. beat him. I'm the winner. <laughs> no, I gotta say, you know, the first stuff I ever wrote found its way into that show, that's and it was. So I, I was like, well, that's, that's encouraging. Fantastic. It is encouraging. You're so still getting money to, from it. Yeah, like, yeah, that's a great boon. Little ditties that you. And I call them off. my stupid little dirty ditties, but you know, I love being in When Pigs Fly, and it was such a smart, funny, gay show. And I thought, I think I could write like this, but I'm too kind of filthy minded to write that. Right. So that's when I started to write, you know, it was ideal. about, and, and, and I wrote out of my own experience because one of the songs is called The Naked Maid, called The Naked Maid, and I was a naked maid. And another one is the perky little porn star, and at the time I'd never done porn, but mm-hmm. I kind of fantasized about it. Wait, right. Ma- naked maid, we can't, I can't just let that go. So was um, it like a little, like, a <laughs> I want to know a little bit more about that. Like, house um, situation? Yeah, I mean, I would, I'd get hired through, like, a service. Um, and then I would go and I would clean and I'd take my clothes off and I would clean. If you, if you and the listen person to the would song, be there just watching I've done that for free. <laughs> I would love to get paid. There you go. <laughs> no, I wrote the, the song that I wrote about when people are like, what was it like to be a naked maid? I say, go find the song, The Naked Maid on YouTube and listen to the lyrics. And that is exactly what it was like. So where did you, where did, where did the surface, where did you find out? Did you send in an application? A friend of mine, actually, it's all in the song. A friend of mine in New York told me that he does it and that he had too many clients. And would I be interested in doing it? Oh, and wow. I was like, so, so you did like this, a referral you did this in, New York? in New York? And then when I moved out to L.A., um, uh, there was a service called Made in L.A. And they had, right, they had like, you know, you, the caterers and this, that, the other thing. But they also had a naked maid service. Was it so, kind of like um, Thai massages where it was like, hey, you pay me a little more and blah, blah, blah. Um, sometimes. Yeah. But... Is that... Should I... You know, look, no, I'm, no, here's the thing. Well, no, he's not going to No, wait a second. <laughs> One of the reasons why I'm here is because, you know, besides, yes, I, I'm a theater guy. I write songs. Right. I, I, I did... I do a bunch of TV. I just did I'm Dying Up Here and NCIS. I do a bunch of that stuff. But one of the things that I really am kind of passionate about is this blog of erotic photos that I have because I've been posing for photos for 20 years. Yes. And my latest one-man show is called A Musical Comedy Whore. And I make no bones, no secrets about... Like, I really have no secrets about being a naked maid, about the Mm -hmm. fact that while I was in New York City in When Pigs Fly and other stuff, I worked as a male escort. And so I was mm-hmm. literally a musical comedy whore. Oh. And, so, and, it's, and everything that... But, but well, that is very open. Right. And, and I talk about it in the show. And, and for me, especially this blog, the idea of putting out there, especially at my age, um, the photos that I, that I have that I still pose for... I want people to talk about sex. I'm yeah. so tired of the shame that people feel about it, that, you know, the, the ageism that there is about it. It's just, we are so, we're just so stifled by American, you know, um, the, the American point of view about sex that people, you know, feel really shitty about themselves. Yes. They have fantasies that they, would, they couldn't imagine ever um, fulfilling, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to be an escort. I kind of had a fantasy about it, and it led me into crazy, crazy places, which I write about, you know, in the show and also a book that I'm, I'm trying to get published now. Sondheim's Dungeon. I've never been, in the, never been in the dungeon. I'm way too, old. way too old. Way too old. Well, I mean, you could have could have been a long time ago. No, I don't think it was a long time. Ago. Could have been in the '60s. No, I mean, <laughs> I honestly have a little dungeon situation. R- rumor, that a well-known allegedly, New York? allegedly, like, uh, you know. And, and honestly, you know what? The, the little tiny Stephen Sondheim story I have is only that I've written to him twice about stuff that I songs that I've written, and he wrote back both times. 
Oh, that's so sweet. I, actually, I saved his letters. N- I met him because mm-hmm. I, I worked with George Firth. Um, pro- Who was a friend of mine. Oh, good. He read about him in my book. Um, I, I produced... What's your book called? Um, right now it's called Shame on Me, The Memoir of a Musical Comedy Whore. And it hasn't come out yet. It has it, not come out yet. It's a to-be-released book. Oh, well, no. It's, it's, it's to hopefully be published soon, but right, I, right, I just right. finished it. So now I'm on the lookout for a publisher gotcha. for it. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, oh, sorry. No, no, no. I, uh, um, I was producing what ended up being George's last musical. We did a workshop of it. What was it called? The End. It had a lot of different names. Was it The Zephyr? No. We, we did workshops of it in New York. Okay. Um, and we were looking to do a mount of a, a full production of it, and then he died. But I, I'd been friends with him before that, and so when, when the revival of Company, which he wrote with Stephen Sondheim, opened on Broadway, um, we were working together here in L.A. while it was in previews, and one time I was at his house, and Sondheim called, and he was like, oh, pick up the phone, but don't say and um, so I, I picked up the phone and I listened to him talk about the preview. And, you know, to hear Sondheim, he was like a teenager. He was so excited. He was like, George, it's what we always hoped for. Like what they're doing in this production is exactly what we were trying to do. And he was so excited, and it was just like went into great detail about um, all the things that he was really liking. And that is so excited. He was like, I can't wait for you to come see it. So I actually, but then I went and went to the opening with George, and um, but that that was kind of a nice little privilege, like fly in the wall experience with Sondheim. Mm-hmm. Meeting him in person less special, just because he was kind of shy, he's, right? he's shy, awkward, bitchy a little bit. <laughs> If he doesn't know someone, <laughs> yeah, just well, kind of dismiss him. I'm sure that makes Why sense. shouldn't he be? I mean, yeah, you I never know, know, what, people, know what people's intentions are when you yeah. meet somebody in phony baloney, like, hi, oh, Mr. Sondheim. Like, you know, well, anybody. I wasn't fawning over him, but, no, I'm but just we, saying people do, though. I'm sure they they, they, yeah. they were. Um, I loved I loved all of his music when I was a kid. I incessantly oh, annoyed my family with Into the Woods. Like, you know what, I love that little insight, again. like... Into him, on you know, just hearing him talk to George on the phone, I was like, right. oh, what, a, what, you know, what lovely youthful enthusiasm. But you know, what's funny about Sondheim stuff is that when I was a, when I was a teenager and, and you know in my twenties and stuff, I didn't connect as much with Sondheim stuff. And it's funny because as I've gotten older, part of it is that like I didn't understand him. Like I was so sheltered in a way, and and all like Into the Woods is a perfect example. When I saw it on Broadway, I saw the original production. I kind of walked out going, it's okay. Then, oh my God, I now wait a second though. Yeah, so a few years ago, I got an opportunity to do the show and be the, and play the baker. Oh, and great. it hit me like a ton of bricks because I think that my my thing about not understanding it wasn't that I didn't like I just didn't understand it that well because I hadn't been into the woods yet in my life. Mm. I was living this kind of like sheltered life. Even in New York, I was I was to be an actor and I was working in, you know on Broadway and off Broadway and it was all with me. everything was great. Nothing really shitty happened to me. And it's really, you understand, Sondheim understands the, the various colors of life, you know? And yes. if you only understand, like, a couple of them, you won't appreciate why he wrote about that yeah. particular thing. And, and as I've gotten older, I listen to, I revisit some stuff, and I go, holy crap. Company is my favorite. Oh, Company. Is, 
company. Company that score. The, park with George. the scores are amazing. The scores are amazing, but I, you know, and I love George. It's so complicated. So much. Um, I miss him so much. George was was funny because I I met him through a friend, and, and funny thing, you had the phone call thing with him with with Sondheim. George knew that I loved Judy Collins, the singer Judy Collins. And one day I met her too. Yeah, they're very good friends. So he called her up and he put me on the phone. He said, get on the phone. And I got on the phone and I had a conversation with Judy Collins. I was like, just don't worry. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, he did that kind of thing. He did. I mean, you wouldn't like. He would always just call you up and say, "What are you doing right now?" And uh, I'd be like, I'm "Nothing." It's like, "Great, I'm gonna pick you up. We're gonna go to dinner." And then he would like take you to Warren Beatty's house, and yeah. you'd be like having dinner with oh. Warren Beatty and Annette Benning. We're sitting down. I, I, I go to see a show at the Geffen. I go to see a show at the Geffen, and a friend of mine was the house manager, so he got me a really nice seat. It was me, and then three seats to my left. And I'm sitting there waiting for the show to start, and all of a sudden, George comes over and sits down next to me. And George, what are you doing here? It's like, oh, you know, I decided to bring a couple friends to the theater, and, you know, I'm hoping that, uh, I'm hoping we'll have a good time. And so we're chatting a little bit, and just as the lights are going down, two people slip into the seats, and it's Warren Beatty and Annette Benning. And I'm like, I'm like, what? Like, I, I don't think I heard the first 10 minutes. They were of the very, play. very, very good friends. Yeah, they were. Good did friends. you go to his memorial thing? I did. At his house? Um, I mean, uh, house, no. George, George's thing? No, we went to something... Well, there was something at a theater. Too, yeah, yeah. There was also something at his house. I mean, we weren't, like, the closest of friends, but I did like him, and, and the thing about him that really made me laugh was he hated the word interesting. Yes. Oh, it, I always think of that when I use the word. When I use the word, I and feel I, guilty because he goes... Me too. If you use the word interesting, he would just stop you in your tracks and be like, interesting? That tells me nothing. I hate that word. And because he was very cantankerous. And, and it makes me like whenever anybody does use the word interesting, I think... Yeah, that really doesn't tell me anything. It's just a bland, generic word, and it's in, in, if you in, have a real in place of something real. You know, it's right. just like, it's what's color. interesting about it? Yeah. You know, and I, I but he would truly, truly <laughs> think of that. If I use the word or, you know, and, and I always just try to think of another word. Yeah. And that's, yeah. Although that's I have to say, I, I tell this story in the book towards the end of the book. And, you know, my experiences that they've gone by, I say, at the end of the book, I say something like, you know, you know, they've been pretty interesting. Sorry, George. But <laughs> they were, you know. <laughs> this is a book that you've written? Yes. What's it called? It's called um, Shame on Me, the Memoir of a Musical Comedy Whore. Oh, so it's, okay, so you have a one-man show called Musical, Musical Comedy, Comedy Horror, Horror, right? and you've expanded into prose. I was challenged to write a book, yes. Fantastic. Fantastic. Have you? Has it come out? No, not yet. I just finished just finished it a couple months ago, so oh. I'm, I'm in the process of, like, looking. Looking. Um, but We have many, many pep publishers that listen to this weekly, so Yay. this is the perfect... Well, well because you know, it is something, you know, <laughs> the, challenge sure, came, sure. the challenge came because I was trying to get the show produced in Chicago, and there's a woman that I've known for a gazillion years who lives out there, and she's a general manager for theater, and I thought I would send my show to her to see if she could help me get it produced out there. Mm-hmm. And so she read the show, and she goes, oh, David, she goes, it's way more risque than I, I can handle. Like, I don't know this audience at all. I can't help you with that. And I was like, you know... And and I had done it here. I did it in Palm Springs, and people really respond to it and really love it. So I said, well, I, I get that, but, you know, what you're missing is the, I'm the one doing it. So if you're reading it and you feel it's too risque, just imagine that I'm telling the story and self-deprecating and knowing when to, like, anyway. She said, but the writing is so good, why don't you write it as a book? 
And I said, because I wrote it as a theater piece. <laughs> so one, I, I ended up getting it produced in Chicago, and I did it there for a little bit. And I thought, you know what? I've never thought about writing a book. Yeah. So, and my sleep, I have sleep issues, like I don't sleep very well. Mm -hmm. So I would get up at like 5 a.m. every morning and I would throw on some pants and go over to Starbucks and for eight months. I just would do it every morning and write. Nice. And so I've expanded upon that show and, and my other show. And then as you're writing, I always think I don't remember anything, but as you're writing, you go, holy crap, that guy or, or that story. And it's, I think everybody should sit down and try and write their biography because it really brings up a lot. It kind of informs who you are today, where you are today, what you needed to take stock of in a very definitive, extreme way. And I, I've really changed since I finished that book. And, and, and I feel like the stories are, are, are kind of funny and good. And, and it's not just, hey, look what happened to me. Like, I would never stand on a stage and say, hey, I was a male escort, if it didn't have some kind of resonance, universal resonance to you and you and anybody here listening. You go and you, th and you go, I didn't have that exact experience, but I have something like it that affected me a certain way. Feelings of shame, feelings of love, feelings of, uh, you know, what, what, what am I doing here in this life? Mm -hmm. um, right. I really try to write from that universal standpoint instead of just, I did this and I did that and then I did this and I met him. You know, it, it was a real eye-opening experience to sit down and focus all that into one file on a computer, you know? Well, you're talking about telling your story. Mm -hmm. So let's take it all the way back to the beginning. Where are you from, David? I am from Skokie, Illinois. What? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Do your you know? song, one of your songs in Naked Boys Sing. Yeah, the perky little porn yeah. star from Skokie, yeah, Illinois. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I yeah. went to school in Chicago. Where? Uh, DePaul. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, never went out to Skokie. Never took the yellow line. Why far, would but... you? <laughs> but Chicago's a great city. It is. Except it's in a the good winter. town. God, that's what made me leave. I was like, I can't deal with this. Oh, no. I'm gonna die. No, my, my joke is that lungs I, are gonna freeze. I lived in Chicago. I went to school in Pittsburgh. Then I lived in New York for 16 years. If I ever see another winter, <laughs> I think I'll kill myself. I even I've been in LA now for 20 years. Uh, me too. I, I, one day in snow just depresses the crap out of me. I I'm fine to visit. You know, mm. like for a few days. My family's still there. I still have family there. To, to visit the winter, wherever it is. New York, you know, whatever. But um, What did your parents do? Yeah, I don't want to live there. Um, my dad is was a jeweler. He's retired now. And my mom, um, after she raised us, she was a bookkeeper for him for many years. Oh, okay. Did he, have a, did he create his own jewelry or did he run a jewelry shop? Um, it was a wholesale business. Okay. And so they would buy and sell. They, he did a little bit of creation of it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Um, but for many, many years, downtown Chicago. Um, and, uh, you know, my, I come from a family of jewelers. My, my grandfather was a jeweler. My, my great uncle was a jeweler, my father. And um, I went to work for my father once. And I sorting diamonds. Mm -hmm. He's like, I'm going to give you this job, sort diamonds. Here's what you need to look for. And, he was, and I'm looking through. He's telling me what to look for, the flaws. I don't know what the hell he's talking about. So I'm just kind of like randomly going, oh, this one over here and this one over there. Like, I, I, he probably lost like a million dollars the day that I went for it. But, but I, I, I kind of was like, this is not for me. You yeah, know? totally. Yeah, you have no jewelry on right now. I, I was, that's I what I thought too. Like, you're not a stitch of jewelry. I don't wear jewelry in, in all my life. Perhaps it's a, it's a, it's a subconscious I had a nipple ring thing. for a while. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I did have an earring for a while. But I, I don't... What nipple did you get pierced, left um, or right? Which one was it? I think it was the left one. Was there a, was there a thought behind it? Um, well, which one you wanted to do? 
Um, no, not at all. It wasn't like left top. You're like, pick whichever nipple you want. I can't remember which one it was. I think it was the left one. But, um, it was, and and I loved it for a little while and then I didn't. Yeah. Then it was like, you know, things were happening with it and, and it was just like, Mm. you know. I can relate. (laughs) (laughs) You've had one too? No, but my taint piercing has been brought up on the (laughs) podcast so many times. We need to change the name of the podcast. (laughs) Taint piercing. (laughs) Just call it. Tainted. I, I tainted. I briefly, for a, a short period of time, had a little risque piercing myself. And yeah. It just was. It was too much. I, I took it out and got rid of it. Well, the thing I loved about it was that when I was doing When Pigs Fly in New York, um, I was shirtless sometimes, and and I, I was going to do it then. And, and the director said, you know, that sends a signal, a kind of a more extreme signal than we want to send with that character. So if you'll with wait the nipple until piercing? the nipple piercing, mm-hmm. so. So then I, I decided to wait until the show was closed, and then I got it. And then when I came to L.A., I did the show in L.A., and I had the nipple piercing. And Mark's like, he said, you know, oh, that's fine. And he said, in fact, there's a thing at the end of the show where we're all wearing these over-the-top costumes based on, it's too long to go into, but mine was based on, on plumbing. Okay, mm-hmm. So I, one of the things I wore was a, what looked like a bra, but it was a plunger. So it was, you know, the plunger with the like stick Madonna. sticking out, like Madonna, but the, a real plunger, right. you know. So, but at the, and at the end, they had the two little um, uh, knobs that you used to turn on hot and cold water at the end oh, of the yeah, thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So from the left one, we hung a little ring. So it was oh, out here with a little so ring, and, oh. and it was really funny. People would point at it, and then they would start laughing. It was a very, very funny thing. And then when the show was done, and I started to get like, ow, I think I'm over this now. I just let it go. Yeah, but, totally. Um, yeah. So then you went to you moved to Pittsburgh. Uh, well, Pittsburgh was was college, yeah. And you I had one year at University of Michigan, and then I moved to Pittsburgh okay. for four years. Yep. Where'd you go? Carnegie Mellon. Oh, nice. What'd you yeah. study? Um, uh, theater and music. They have a really cool. great department. Yeah. Yeah. At the time, at the time, it had issues, and um, there was an, again, this is something that I write about, and this all has to look. We're you know talking about shame and talking about sexuality. One of the things that they did at that school at the time, I don't sure it's changed, was that if you were a girl who was overweight or if you were a guy that was effeminate, if you didn't change, they kicked you out. So, so they're just trying to beat the eccentricity out yes, of you. Yes, exactly. They they were they were like, you have to be able to play everything, anything that anything's given to you. And I'm like, honestly, no. Like I felt like that in grad school, and that was a few years ago when I I felt like there was some sort of like you need to find some sort of more manliness to you that's not in you. Right. And, and, and I understand, I understand their point of view in that, you know, if you're going to play a certain kind of character, you have to, you know, find that if it's, if it's a extremely right. heterosexual yes. character and you are an effeminate guy, you've got to kind of find your way. You're not or, Stanley. Exactly. Or you just accept the fact that I don't go, I just want to be the best actor that I can be. Somebody like a David Drake. Yeah, I don't know? need a huge range. No. I just want to play really good parts that fit my wheelhouse. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 and that is fine if that's what you want to do as an actor. But they didn't accept that. And not only didn't they accept it, if you were like... What was his play, David Drake? Um, the Night Larry Kramer Kissed yes. Me, which was oh, brilliant. I saw that when I opened. I loved it. It was just, it, it was very, uh, he's a friend of mine. It was a very... Um, inspiring piece because it was him playing kind of different characters within but it was always with this strong queer sensibility and he yeah, was that so brave at that time was so good. it was so good and at the time it was it was revolutionary you know nobody had really done anything like that mm-hmm. and celebrated like that 
And I just thought, yeah, I didn't want to have the, the, the gay slapped out of me at school. And I was kind of on the edge of effeminate, I always like to say. So yeah. if I had to go in their direction, I was. But there were guys who either couldn't or, to their credit, wouldn't play that game. And they got kicked out. Mm. So, so Carnegie Mellon was not my happiest four years. Mm. You know, totally. You're you're so young and you're so like hungry to to act and to learn, and and you have these teachers who are kind of coming down on you and going, "What are you doing with your wrist?" Yeah, well, fuck you. Like if it, yeah. if I could go back and you know tell the, the kids those That's kids, so I would say, "Be who you are. Learn how to adapt who you are for the character that you're going to play." Yeah. And, and find what makes you special, why that character, you playing that character is going to be more special than that guy playing the character. Yes. Know? So got out of there and moved to New York right away. I was there for 16 years and did like tons of like, I, did, I went out of town a lot to do theater, did a lot of musicals, did a little bit of Broadway. I did um, a revival of Fiddler on the Roof on Broadway. Um, Who did you play? Um, Topol. Oh, wow. The guy from the movie. Of yeah. course, yeah. yeah. And that's a whole other story. Who oh, were you in that? Uh, I was, um, uh, I understudied Muttle and played Mendel the rabbi's son. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. You Are know, you Jewish? Was, am I Jewish? Yes. I always like to, am I a Jew? Eh, Jewish. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is Pevsner a very, it's mm-hmm. a particularly Jewish name? No, I mean, it's, it's Russian. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, it was like Pevsnerovich. I don't know what it was, but... Um, yeah, I, I assume from the song because you bring up Jewishness in your music. I do. Yeah. I do a lot. I think you know Jewish terminology. I think is hilarious. Totally. And <laughs> I think I don't know. I think that the I, I I'm not a practicing Jew by any stretch, but I think that there's like the birthright and the humor are things that I really um, embrace. Mm-hmm. You know, my nephew is a rabbi. Oh, nice. And um, and I don't like. You know, I support him. He knows how I feel about organized religion, which is But I support him because he's doing it right. Mm -hmm. He is so sensitive to the issues of today, of, you know, contemporary Judaism. And Mm. he's just a great, 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 great kid. Oh, that's awesome. And he's out in Chicago? Well, he he lived here for a while. He studied here. Mm -hmm. Then he went to North Carolina which was, you know, incredibly conservative and difficult. And now he is the, the chief rabbi at a um, synagogue in Vernon Hills. And my father, my, my mom passed in November down in Florida. And my dad moved back to Chicago and lives like two minutes away from him. Oh, nice. oh that's it's so great. Nice. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. So you were, when you were talking about Sondheim, um, you were saying like when you saw Into the Woods, which is like in the late 80s, mm-hmm. um, you were really sheltered and naive, you I, know, and then, but not too long after that, you became an escort. So, right. How did yeah. That you, were you doing escorting for fun, not for, or for money? Would, you know, it, you it started, it? well, you know, money was an issue. I was working off Broadway and not making enough money. Right. To, yeah. Cause you don't right. work consistently. You know right. I mean? no, no, but I did. I, I had, I had a three year run off Broadway with two different shows, Party. Oh, which amazing. was a, a naked play, mm-hmm. and when pigs fly. So I I worked a lot and still couldn't and still couldn't make the, ends meet. But it wasn't just about the money. It was something well, I New York to is work very expensive, out. and they don't pay you that much. In, right, and at the way. time though, it's not like well, like it is now. Now I don't think like I could survive there. With, you know, oh, it's crazy. It's now. crazy. But at the time, it wasn't just about the money. There was something I needed to work out. There was um, a, a need to express myself sexually and not just in the bedroom. Yes. There was a need for me to kind of like, a, it was a validation thing. I had started working out, and once I started working out, I was kind of like that kind of hungry for people to 
like me for my body. To be an object of desire. To be an object of desire because as a skinny little boy, I would look at guys with great bodies and be like, gee, I wish I was like that. And I kind of turned myself into that and I needed to work that out for myself. Besides the fact that I thought it was the most shameful thing you could possibly do was to become a hooker. I just thought, what a shameful thing to do Mm -hmm. and that's part of why I wanted to do it. Sometimes I, sometimes I... Where do you think that came from? Well, if you do it on your terms, which um, I did, and you're not like being exploited by someone, you know, the, I think it's I think it's fine. Look, I you know I totally think it's fine, especially having done it now. If somebody said to me, "Well, I'm thinking," I'm like, "Look, if you know, if as long as you know what you're getting into, go do it." I mean, it's not legal per se, but depends on how you do it. But it was there was just something about it that was such a taboo that I needed to dive into it. Because I knew that it was going to address a lot of my issues about my body, about validation, my fantasies, you know, and I felt like I could either never engage in those and go about my life or I can dive head first. So it started with first posing nude for Tom Bianchi back in Mm 1989-90 and that was kind of an interesting, fun thing to do. And then it kind of moved towards, then I became a naked maybe. Somebody approached me about it and I thought, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And then um, uh, there was an uh, uh, escort service called, and at the time I was older than most. I was 37 or something like that, which is old to start escorting. But um, there was a there was a, a I'm sure there was called, a demand. Well, at the time it wasn't like that. The, <laughs> the daddy thing wasn't really happening. But... There was a place called Maturity Escorts, and I got hooked up with them, and they treated me great. Uh, that is so funny at 37. Mm-hmm. That's considered mature. I was like, like I, was, sure. I was the <laughs> oldest whore in New York. <laughs> I thought so I was the oldest whore in New York, but, but it was one of those things where it was not what I expected it to be. I'm such a kind of a caretaker person, and a lot of what I did engaged that, you know. It wasn't just about, you know, you go. I mean, sometimes it was strictly sexual, whatever. Sure. There was so much more involved, and I learned so much about myself. Well, a lot and of people are, are looking for connection. Human connection. Yeah. That is it, exactly. It became about connection. And the story of what happened after that and the boyfriend that I met while I was doing it and what he put me through because I had done it has all become part of the show and now part of the book. Oh, because and he book. judged you for Oh, that? my God, never let it go. Like, the kind of thing that if you're going to connect oh, with somebody... No, and it, and it led me to this kind Yikes. of universal, gigantic epiphany, which was the person that is standing in front of you that you say you love, can't, you can't pick and choose their history. Their yes. history is what made them who that person yes. is. Had I not done that, maybe I wouldn't have been so sensitive to certain things. Had I, had I not done that, maybe I wouldn't be open to hearing other people. Like, you know, I come from a from like an upper kind of middle class Jewish background. I didn't have a lot of you know adversity growing up. Mm-hmm, right. You know, I put myself into the middle of adversity because I needed to fucking grow up. I needed to you know so that I could look at other people and say like you know that lady that the lady at the grocery store that I never speak to because I don't think I have anything in common with her. Guess what? You know, especially in this day and age, boy. We all have something in common. We're all being shit on, you know? Yes. And so it, it, that's the, working as an escort was the beginning for me of kind of opening my eyes to the rest of the world and not just my little bubble in New York City working in the theater and, you know. Right. Ooh, you know, totally. It, it, was a, it was a fantastic experience. And, and I, you know, what it, what it gave to me story-wise, you know, as a storyteller, it gave me incredible stories to tell, you know. And then 
when I kind of gave that up, I did a little bit more in L.A., but I started to embrace um, this erotic photography mm-hmm. and posing for photographers that were very kept. The photos were very much kept between the photographer and I, unless they used it for an exhibit or for a book or something. But come, to, I think it was 2013, I was like, I'm so fucking sick. I, like going to the gym and seeing guys put a towel around their waist and then, you know, take their underwear off. I'm like, what? what is that? Like, people feel such shame about their bodies. And I was kind of noticing it more in, in, you know, like models who like go out of their way so that their dick doesn't get seen. And how like, you know, the dick in, in TV shows, you would see vagina, but you wouldn't see cock. And I'm like, what? is that because the penis is like the last taboo you know oh it absolutely is right and and that kind of pissed me off because I was like that's the kind of shame that makes us all like shitty we feel shitty about ourselves our bodies you know people who like won't take their shirt off because they're afraid of being ridiculed it's like god like it's such a horrible feeling to not feel good about yourself wherever you're at yeah I mean there is like this puritanical yes you know um ethos in in this country that you know where it is shame and sex is taboo and you know we can't talk about that and And i got sick of it finally yeah i mean you're very passionate about it i think it's cool i mean you know in terms of um trying to help people's overall image do do you find though that like the younger generation like nathan's age and younger have a little bit less hang-ups about that i i think no and here's what I, I'm, in a certain sense, yes, but the ones who do have the hangups, here's my theory. And it's not actually my theory, but somebody mentioned this to me, this whole thing about, you know, in the gym, in the locker room, being kind of shy about stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been on the internet, younger guys, longer than we were. And on the internet, where you can find all kinds of sexual stuff, a lot of the, the nudity that you find on the internet is sex-based, not, yeah. not necessarily art-based. Like we, you know, Robert Maplethorpe and, you know, we were exposed to that kind of stuff. But a lot of stuff that guys look for, younger guys look for on the internet is more kind of porn oriented. They they know internet porn better than we do. Extremely accessible. Right. And so I think that maybe that has an effect that they look at nudity as being sexual all the time, you know, and like nudity equals sex. I may be wrong about that, but somebody presented that as an idea and I thought, well, that's interesting to me. Older guys... You know, my age, I'm going to be 60 in, in December, and I get, I get notes from, on my blog from guys my age all of them saying, like, I have felt so shitty about my body and about sex for so many years, and it's so cool to see somebody your age in your position, not that I'm a big star by any means, but that I have a little bit of a mainstream career, that you have the guts to put that out there, and I need to think better about myself. Well, it is bold. I mean, people don't really do that. No, um, they don't. And, and, I, and it was, again, where I kind of jump into adversity and say, like, what would happen to me? I always like wondered, what would happen to, you know, Tom Cruise if his, like, porn film came out, whatever? It was more publicity really honestly nowadays well that's I think yeah I think that well hasn't hasn't nudity been tied to sex like the whole in American culture for for a long time I mean because even the way we dress and the things that we cover up that inherently implies you know something about you know 
Yes. Well, but I the idea the of nudity, like, you know, the statue of David, you know, and just right. like sure. art. Like, I mean, people don't necessarily look at, you know, Michelangelo's David and say, like, oh, my I God, I want to fuck him. <laughs> you know, I mean, you just right. look at, like, the human form and how beautifully it's captured and rendered. And, and certainly one man's art is another man's porn, you know. Sure. So, like, you can look at some, like, there are people who would probably look at the David with, with the penis there. And, and they've, they've had to cover it up sometimes in certain situations because they look at it as and a it's sexual. it's not not sexual. I mean, you see it like on the, like as a refrigerator magnet on all kinds of gay guys' um, refrigerators. And it's, right. it's not, you know, there's a reason for that. Right. I just think that this is an important conversation that we're really not having enough of mm-hmm. because people feel shitty about themselves. People feel guilty about sex. People feel like, oh, I'm, I'm not a big muscle man, so I'm, I'm not attractive or I'm not sexually, you know. And, and then what does attract you? Like, I just think that we're not talking enough about that. And that's why I decided to put those photos out there. And I know that there are people who are like, you know, Grandpa, you're fugly. Put it away. Like, I know that there, that that's out there. Yeah. But well, I also know that there, that there are people who appreciate what I'm doing. And I'm trying to do it in an artful way. But you also said, like, you know, when you were 37 and, and you know, hired by maturity escorts or whatever. Was it? That the daddy thing wasn't really happening. But the daddy thing is happening now. No, it really is. Um. I mean, this has got to be like a, you know, explosion for you. Um, when you say the daddy thing wasn't happening, like people just weren't onto older men, or do you think it was a product of there weren't a lot of out gay older men? No, to I, be interested. I just think that this there were no particular generation, this particular have. younger generation of gays, it's just very openly, some of them openly seeking. A, a daddy figure um, and <laughs> daddy it's issues. for appreciation <laughs> but here's the thing working out those issues again with the internet you find out like one thing that I found out putting my photos out there is there is a huge audience for older guys like but it's because of the internet because yeah, people come together yeah you've got to be like a, so, a, a magnet for that well I mean I mean I, you put yourself out there in such an open way I do and I, I imagine you have them like down your door. No, probably. not at all. I mean, like, you know, in terms, in terms of the, the face-to-face stuff, no. I mean, online, you know, I have my followers and they're great. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, 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 you know, I write um, edit, editorial stuff every so often to them, you know, kind of keep them up to date. And, but also to, like, when the election was coming along to say, like, guys, you've got to get out there and vote. Like, you know, it's it's not, doesn't change the world. And I don't have, like, a gazillion followers. But the guys who, who follow and send me notes and stuff... It's kind of important to them. I tried to check out your blog. It's on Tumblr, it's right? On Tumblr's I'm tough not now. on Tumblr, yeah, and I didn't have enough time to really contemplate. Like, uh, how I was am able, I going to be I was on able Tumblr? To it. What? <laughs> I was able to browse through it. Were you? Yeah. I just yeah. Well, I mean, but I did see some stuff that reacted to it mm-hmm. that other people had posted. Like there was this one little article by someone named like Dewitt or something. Oh like yeah. That. Um, that is very salivatory about you, <laughs> um, and it, but it's very flattering. But here's the thing: post some of your photos and just talks about how um, you know just how appealing you are. Uh, um, so that's gotta be nice. Well, it is nice, but what's also like I used to feel like when I first started putting out photos and and I would get guys saying like, "Oh God, you're so hot! I want to suck your dick." I'd be like, "Okay, that's not my the, my point of putting this out there." Mm-hmm. But you know, now a few years later, to it, but though. exactly a few years <laughs> later, I'm like, you know what? I, I'm encouraging people to 
you know, to feel free to express what they want to. So I still get people who saying, you know, like, you know, artistically, I feel like I love what you're doing and I love this photo and that whatever. And then other people who are just a little bit more explicit. And I have said to them, look, when you send me an explicit message, sometimes I don't know what to say to that. So sometimes I, if I don't get back to you, I, it might just be a thank you. But when you have something to right. really address about this issue, right. about, about what we're doing, then I can really have a conversation well, with you. A lot of your stuff, though, is very sexual in nature and is erotic in a sort of way that would... But it runs the gamut. And like, I, runs an explicit gamut. message. But you got a lot of hard dick back. shots, too. Oh, absolutely. But, then, but then when does it become when does it become porn? Is it when you have a hard dick? Is it when you show your dick? Is it when, like, your I don't think it necessarily is porn, but, I mean, I think, I think if you do a picture, okay, for, like, with a hard dick, I think that it's not just nudity as art. I think there is inherently a, a sexual component to Absolutely. that. Absolutely. You know what I mean? One thing that so I do not, try to do, though. Which, like you've said, not something you're scaring away from. No, not at all. And, and I think I've become more explicit as the years have gone by and I've done more shoots. Because if you go all the way back... Do you feel that's see. just amount of you pushing into new places and territory, yeah. kind of? Yeah. I'm feeling yeah. more comfortable doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I try to do also, if I can, if it's, if it's a... I, I try to work with photographers who have a point of view that it's not just okay, stand there and start playing with yourself. You know, that we do kind of we kind of put it in a situation. And so what I try to do then is kind of curate the posts where I take a bunch of photos that I feel fit well together and kind of tell a little story. Sure. And then I'll title it something that's either kind of ironic or funny or whatever. Like there was one which um, I shot with this photographer named Deej Jones, and we were like, okay, you're an older. Escort in a car waiting for somebody to uh, to approach you. It was all in black and white, and I'm wearing like a tank top and and, and kind of trying to like uh, seduce somebody coming to the car, like looking out the window. Right. And I called it um, fifty bucks a pop, <laughs> which you know I thought that has that kind of a little funny thing. Yeah. And there was one we shot it's in sad. A, in a, what? It's sad. Well, okay, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, but I, but but it told a story. Uh-huh. And then there was another one where we did it. We shot it in an devaluing yourself. Why not charge more? Oh, I know. Well, that was that. That was part of it. That well, was maybe somebody get some people get off by being a cheap whore. That was part of it. Right, oh, exactly. Really? Why? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I chose <laughs> 50 like, bucks. I want to be paid almost nothing. I, I chose 50 bucks because I wanted people to kind of go like, oh, that's not a lot. Or like, oh, how does he feel about himself in this? I wanted people to think that. Of course. You know? And then the one in, we did one in an underground um, uh, garage. And it's me like in the center with all the cars around me. We had to run a couple of times when people came by. But I called it, um, what did I call it? Uh, auto. No, oh, I had kind of a funny title to it. Autoerotica. Something. Like, it, was, it was like it was like uh, auto, auto something or other. That's funny. And it was it was kind of funny. Like I I try to make it as artful and sexy as I can. Yeah, totally. Um, have you had like any that. like reactions professionally? Oh like, yeah. You know, like your agent. I lost or, a couple of agents over. Yeah. Um, and because they're like, uh, we're not going to be able to get you. Know, you can't do a Tide commercial now. Right. Or well, here's the thing. I feel like that would be perfect for a Tide you, commercial. Do you do voiceovers? I've been listening to your voice and thinking. I don't. I want him to tell me disclaimers. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I would love to do voiceovers, but that's with all the different things that I do. That is such a world that you have to like. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You have to. You have to just dive into that. Yeah, I just yeah. can't do it. But you I've done. A, I've done really some, good voice for it. Thank you. I've done some audio books, which I enjoy. Oh but, yeah. But the guy that I was doing them with moved out of town. So again, it's something I would have to kind of find my way to. Sure. But professionally, yeah. I mean, again, it's all in the book. But um, 
I now have an, uh, have a manager and an agent who are like, look, as long as you don't walk into the room saying, I'm naked on the internet, we're fine with it. In fact, to some people, it makes me a little more interesting. Certain worlds, like the more HBO showtimey type stuff. Right. But, but yeah, you just did something. Else. Yeah, yeah, has it ever helped in the opposite way? Like, Not that I know of. Not that I know of. But certainly, if there's something that has a sexuality to it, I don't have a problem. And there's a lot of guys who have a problem doing that kind of thing. Right. Well, it's what comes up if you Google Google mm-hmm. David Pabsner. Well, not necessarily. I mean, it depends on what your, what your um, constraints are on your Googling. Because sometimes... Especially now how Tumblr doesn't allow you to, to go on unless you're a member of Tumblr. Right. So a lot of my stuff isn't there. But I don't know. I don't know like what my, the agents that I had. Um, one was a commercial agent. One was a TV agent. And I liked them perfectly fine. But um, instead, I didn't have the conversation with the commercial agent. She got to me and said, there's a casting director who won't see you because apparently you have a naked picture on the internet. Can you take it off? And I was like a naked picture <laughs> and, and then of course you can't take it off I mean you can take it off but it's gone it's done you know it's out right. there and so I told her what my reasoning was and she kind of like and I kind of had to pull the phone away from my ear she was like why would you do that and I explained this is a mission of mine I decided finally to bite the bullet and put it out there because I'm sick and tired of the shame and she was like I totally understand but know that it's going to affect things and it did and she dropped me Mm-hmm. And I was like, I get it. I, and I'm not being like, ooh, she was such a bitch. No, I totally get it. Yeah. I couldn't represent her the way she wanted me to. Well, that's her call. Yeah. yeah. And the, the TV agent was first was really great about it. She's like, well, I can't get you Disney or Nickelodeon. I'm like, that's okay. She said, and I might be able to get you more interesting things now, whatever. But it just didn't work out with her. But I have somebody now. They, they submit me for stuff, and I just did, I told you I'm dying up here, and I did NCIS. And look, if that's going to be an issue for people... Okay, I'm not. I'm not going to argue it. I'm not right. saying no, that people I mean, should embrace I mean, me doing this, but I'm like, really, why is it such a fucking issue? Well, also that's the like point of why you're doing it. Exactly. Yeah. Try to normalize it. Exactly. Um, let's not have hangups about it. So what? Mm-hmm. You know. I mean, and, and I think that's cool. And I get why a lot of people, you know, when when like Chris Evans has a dick pic on the thing, people are crazy to find it. You know, people who are more celebrated in this world, when we find a sex tape or nudity, we, you know, as a as a country, we're all like, I want to see that. I got to see that. But, okay, great. Like, but why is it like, I got to see that and, oh, he shouldn't have done that or, you know. Well, I mean, we all have sex. We all are. Yeah, I know. It is such a weird thing, especially that it's different with women and men too. Yes, that's true. Because it's crazy. Oh, I feel like women, I mean, not maybe necessarily all the way to porn, but you can pretty much put your body out completely and there's no repercussions mm-hmm. if you're a woman. But if that's you're, what they want. But if they you want your cock Instagram. or a hard cock especially, yeah. that's an issue. And look, the other thing about the, hypocr- the hypocrisy of it all is, you know, I know a few porn stars and, and we all watch porn. Everybody does. So why is there such... Why do they... Yeah, why like, act like they're bad people? Exactly. Exactly. They're just people making a living, doing what they do, and we are watching it. Yeah. You know? So I don't get that. I just... I, I, I mean, you can sit there and you can have a conversation with me about it, and I will sit and listen, and it still doesn't make sense to me. We watch it. It's entertainment, you know? And I haven't, I haven't done like films and or anything like that. The other thing is, like, you don't it's, it's have that, to watch it, and you don't have to access the totally. things you're not it's interested that, exactly. in. Exactly. So why does anybody care? It is why that puritanical streak, and just you know that. 
And sometimes those people that, you know, that, that are religious, you know, well, or that whatever. has a lot to do with it, of course. And sometimes privately, they're maybe the most like fucked up, you know, people exactly. doing the most fucked up things, you know, pretty yeah. much because, it's, because for, for them, it's so, you know, like shameful and, they have so many and, and yet you know, those, a lot of those like, you know, fundamentalist, you know, crazy people. They're watching porn on the internet. They're the ones in restaurants the tapping their foot. Right. They've done studies. The right. highest amounts of uh, porn watching and porn use is in the most religious states in the country. Mm-hmm. The southern. I states. think that if you repress things, and it's just going to bottle you up and make you want to do them more. And that's why I think it's so important to be able to find outlets that you can express yourself, whether it be sexually or whatever. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. And don't be afraid I, I of totally it. felt like that growing up. I had sexual desires and wants and needs and things that I wanted to do. And until I was able to exercise them, then, you know, I wasn't going to be able to find any sort of relief in understanding. And knowing what, you know, that there are consequences for your actions sometimes. Like, you have to know. Like, people have, have, on my blog have said, you know, I want to put naked pictures on the internet. I've posed for them, and, I, and I want to put them out. I'm like, look, absolutely do it. But you have to think. Yeah. You know, you have to think the about once it's out in. there in this world. that we're Your job, I don't know what your job is. I don't know what your family is like. This is stuff that you have to consider. For me, I thought about it long and hard <laughs> and decided that this was <laughs> something that my mission was more important. My mission kind of trumps my personal problems with, you know, with what might possibly happen, mm-hmm. and right. I don't, and I don't regret it for a second. Yeah. Well, you're good. doing the Lord's work, God David. Damn <laughs> The Lord's work. I feel like I've been so damn chatty here, but I do, I do feel really passionate about. That's the whole so. point. If you weren't chatty, it would be a very awkward yeah. podcast. No, episode. that's what we're here to do. We're here to <laughs> chat, and I feel. Thank you for sharing yeah, your you. evangelical mission with us. <laughs> I love it's it. It's an interesting one. Yes, yes, yes. No, and I really do. I think it's it is important. I mean, I think we do need to just like relax and yeah. and be more. open open and, and fulfill your fantasies you know yeah. fulfill them right. get rid of the stigma and don't judge each other exactly. be kind you know um, and not judgmental exactly so everything that you're doing towards that end is I think to be commended you're very kind good for you David thank, thank you so you. much yeah, for joining so much. us and thank if people you. want to find you where can they or what should they be looking out for um, well the blog is called realguyla.tumblr.com it's called shameless and if you're on tumblr you can access it. I think if you're not on Tumblr, you have to become a member. Too. And we are creating pent-up demand for that book that's coming out. Well, I'm hoping that will happen soon. Yes. I and mean, the, the, the people listening to this are going to be, where can I find the book? Yeah. When's the, the book, book happening? The book, the book. Well, I'm also hoping that the show, we actually um, filmed the show, A Musical Comedy Horror, so that's in the process now. Of, oh, of, very of cool. So hopefully that'll be out soon. Amazing. And it's still looking to do the show live in your town, coming to your town. Fantastic. Um, and then I just, you know, continue you do oh and then there's if you if you want to hear any of my kind of funny dirty little songs um, there's a CD called most versatile um, that you can get on Amazon iTunes whatever and the songs are kind of silly but they're pretty funny I yeah think. they're fun and they're kind of scream musical theatery exactly and they're good I like they're them. in the naked boy singing yeah. mode yeah, yeah totally awesome thank you guys for this opportunity yeah thanks, thanks for David. coming on thanks everybody of course for listening to the show as always and uh, please yeah. like, subscribe, <laughs> follow us, repost, share, repost, tweet, tell your friends, <laughs> everything, all of the above. Okay, right. thanks. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye.